Welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I am your host, Dr. M, and this is podcast number 55. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with my good friend, Ryan Conklin. Ryan is a self-described, light-chasing, storytelling thread puller. He's an adventure-bound tracker and a student of myth and maps. He calls himself a transformational coach by day and a bartender and hospitalitarian by night. But what he really does is tries to help people understand what it is from a perspective of the best way to move through life, particularly as men. And today we touch deep into the topic of grief and loss, something that is near and dear to my heart with the passing of my father a year and a half ago. And Ryan and I met during the experience at the initiation for Man Uncivilized a few years ago, and there was a connection that was deep, and I decided that this would be a perfect exploration for the two of us to go to places that we touched on during the initiation week, but also we're both living through now with the health, or in my case, the demise of my father, or the health of our parents as they age, which is not fun for any of us to experience, but it is a way of life that we all unfortunately must experience. So it was, for me, very pleasurable to sit down with a man who is a thinker, as he says, a storyteller and a thread puller, which he is. And in this conversation, we do listen in a story kind of way about our collective experiences around grief, but it's primarily Ryan's view. And I learned a lot about what I wished I would have known a year and a half ago about better ways to handle grief. And hindsight is sort of interesting because a lot of it is very similar to what we do in medicine, loading the boat, getting people in your corner who are quality humans that help us understand the path forward, whatever that path is. So with that being said, here is my conversation with Ryan Conklin. Ryan Conklin, my man, it is an absolute pleasure to have a hour-long conversation with you. Welcome. Thank you, brother. Two years ago, you and I met. It's a little over two years ago now. And a pretty profound experience for me, as I've talked about on this podcast before. But there are, there's few people in the world that I connect and identified with the way I had with you during that experience. And I, again, I want to start this out just sort of paying homage to the experience that I went through there and the experience I went through with you there and holding space for me as I was learning this new journey that we call men's work. So sort of as that as a backdrop, let's rock and roll in your story and how you got into men's work and why is men's work so damn important now? It seems to be ever more important everywhere I turn now that I'm sort of awake to it. So the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if men's work is more important now than it has been before, uh, but it feels, it feels crucial. Yeah. Um, as crucial as it ever has in, in history, but man, we really could sure use some heartfelt, grounded leadership right now. And so I think when we're able to show up in a conversation, show up in a disagreement, show up in a in that one moment where everything shifts for us and we shift from victim to observer. And notice, you know, what is my part in this? That's where potentially the journey begins for for a person. Um, and as we're willing and able to show up in that place, each time that journey continues. Yeah. Yeah, and even so trying not... to figure out how to be the observer, right? So I didn't even know what it was like to be an observer until I met all you guys. And now I go, okay, I get this. That's cool. 
Yeah, I think that that that's one of the biggest biggest decodings or or shifts that's necessary is to to learn for allowance of of observance to to know that you're not losing yourself simply by listening or losing yourself simply by uh, asking questions or by paying attention. Yeah, totally. So what's your story? Let's go mm. back. Where you want to go? I want to go back to your words where you began on the journey of observing, I guess. Let's start there. Like, you know, you grew up as a kid, if you want to start where you grew up, but maybe what brought you to wanting to chase down this path or this observance or however you want to look at it. Sure. Uh, well, men's work, I think, started for me uh, when I... I was gifted or um, offered a pretty painful list of things that was wrong with me. I was going through a big breakup and this partner uh, said, you're this and you're that and you're this other thing. And I was like, ouch, that hurts. And then something in me said, wait a minute, pay attention. And I grabbed a piece of paper and I said, say that again. And I wrote it down. And for the next two months, I sat with two questions. If this was her experience, how could this be? And if this was her experience, what caused it? Was it me? Was it her? Was it my job? Was it our relationship? Was it something I wasn't looking at? And in that, I did a lot of introspection, a lot of reflection. And one of the things that she shared with me was that I was not able to be vulnerable. I wasn't showing up from a vulnerable place. And in that two months, I, I, I put down um, any, any kind of numbing mechanism. I, I set down uh, my relationship with, with drinking. I just stopped drinking. I stopped with porn. You know, my job at the time was in... Uh, alcohol sales so that was a very unique uh, paradigm to dance in and with that I also set down socializing because I knew that it would be easy enough to turn away from the pain of loss and the things that got me there simply by going out and uh, filling the absence with a new uh, socializing a new relationship a friendship or even intimacy and I started to write a lot in my journal about the experience. And as I was writing, at some point one night, I realized that I hadn't written in my journal about my feelings in something near a decade. And it was that moment that uh, I got to put a checkbox in her column, her win column of you're not able to show up vulnerably. She was right. If, if I hadn't been able to be vulnerable with myself and share my feelings with myself in my own journal, then how could I possibly be showing up vulnerable for anyone else? I mean, to me at that time, I felt vulnerable as hell in that relationship. But she didn't feel a sense of openness from me. She didn't feel a sense of accessibility to my feelings to my heart so that that moment uh, was a big turning point for me um, from that place uh, after about two months I something in me and I'm not sure where this came from but something in me hit that I need to get out of my head and I need to get back into my body and that I pretty much taken myself as far as I could go on my own and that I needed I needed some sort of support. Um, I didn't know what that looked like. My idea of men's groups uh, was people who couldn't make friends or people that were lost. But I was open to proving that wrong. And all at the same time, uh, the chaos uh, that ensued in spring of 2020 um, kind of laid my career path uh, on a on a degeneration, uh, essentially, you know, vaporizing. Um, and it put me in a new place of work 
which put me into a new community, put me into a new mental and emotional framework. And all at once, uh, a coworker placed in my hands a book, offered me a link to a podcast, and sent me an invite to a call. Um, all of those were Travers, Traver Bones, with uh, The Uncivilized Nation. And at that time, it was, it was a, it was a thing. It was, it had become, but it was still really finding its its footing. So it was a real blessing to be able to get that invitation to to get that uh, call into that space, and um, all of that led to a course that I took, which was called Head, Heart, and Balls. Uh, it was all about leadership and being the optimistic person in the loss of work. And I was actually still at the same company, one of uh, only 10 that made uh, it made it through the cuts of 100. And I was under the illusion that my leadership in this time was leading me to a place of potential promotion and potential growth. Um, and so I saw this opportunity to take a leadership course and I was like, this is exactly what I need to come out the other side on the high side of all of this. And, uh, so I stepped into it and little did I know that his course was more about leading yourself than it was about leading others. Mm -hmm. And that, that was the moment, uh, essentially where everything changed, uh, within being in that course days, days after joining that course, I found out later that I would not only not come out on the high side of that uh, company reorganization, but I would actually be, be demoted to a place below where I entered the company uh, six years prior. Very humbling, a big identity uh, crisis of sorts. And my identity had been tied up so much in it. And uh, that course offered me a tremendous amount of support and reframe a new community and it was pretty much impossible to turn back from from that uh, from that arriving to my new place. Yeah. So potentially that's a, a reasonable place to pause. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think of that in the context of, you know, how old are you now? Forty five. So you think of that in the context of somebody who's lived four and a half decades. And you're going through life and the myriad different challenges and experiences that you had. And here you are thrust upon an event in your life, unbeknownst to you, where you have a significant unseen challenge and you choose a path based on a single experience with somebody who said, hey, try this, that leads you down another path that there for me says, okay, here now some blinders have come off, but the blinders to some extent came off because you were forced down a path primarily by your partner and secondarily then by your job. And when I think of this in the context of, of men's work or even young men, like teenagers, like who, you know, patients of mine, I think of these as these inflection points within our existence that say, Hey, how are you going to rise in and out of this thing? I think your journey speaks to something that not many men do the introspection of self, right? So I think most men would then numb out that pain. You did the exact opposite, which I commend you for, first of all. Number two, it's a great teaching point for everyone listening, that when you do run into a, as Matthew McConaughey calls it, a, a, a red light, yeah. you pause, stop, change your behavior, and and dig in, like, like, like really just freaking dig in and see what is truly there from a, and and as you stated clearly you know you sat and introspected for two months to say hey is she right right because we as men for one reason or another want to be right right and mm -hmm. you know on the call last night with dewey you know it's pretty clear that's one of the things that men we want things fixed quickly we want the world to be right we don't like suffering we don't like feeling i mean for myself that's clearly my issue and so I think the words that I'm hearing you state are are wisdom personified because it is the moment where everybody who is struggling in life should say, hey, what's going on here? I need to pause. I need to look. Is there truth to what's coming at me? You know, whether you call it 
you know, negative feelings, bullets, as sometimes I call them when, if my spouse says something to me that feels really off, I sometimes like label them as like these emotional bullets. But I think your point's well taken as men, that's our point to reflect why are these things coming at us? And then in that point, can you identify something within yourself that may be driving that? I think, yeah, man, I, I love what you're stating. And then to run into Traver and his group, which I love, you know that, and then to now take that and use that to your next inflection point where you're going in your journey, it's just, it speaks volumes to what everybody should pay attention to in their own lives when they hit that. So that's sort of, in my way of thinking, sort of re-encapsulating this three-year cycle for you that leaves you now where you are, which I know you're doing some really cool stuff. But let's sort of hit on, I think, the next big piece of this discussion. You and I have both been through something really tough lately. Me, last year, you know, never know when it's going to happen, but my dad passed away last April. It was awful. I thought it would be easy. 86 years old, lived a phenomenal life, phenomenal father. And it was an absolute shit show for me emotionally. And you now are going through something similar, right? Your parents yeah. are older and they are failing. So let's talk about this a little bit now in the context of where you are now in your new self role. What's happening? Sure. Well, fast forward a year from from when I was in the Head, Heart, and Balls course, my my father goes into the hospital and I go down to Florida to be with my mom and my dad. And uh, from that point, I spent 12 days there um, working them through some tests and ultimately to, to meet with a cardiologist that said that my father's heart was, was functioning about 30%. He had um, cardiac, cardiac heart failure. Um, I believe that's the the way the disease is termed. Yep. And uh, and that he presented it to my father as he could choose two paths, both of them leading to the same place, but he could make some better life choices and extend his life and have some quality of life, or he could continue on the same path of poor diet and uh, breaking his his uh, needs with diabetes. Uh, and not exercising or not moving and have a very grim uh, and uncomfortable path. You know, the way he termed it in a very dramatic sense was he looked in my father's eyes and said, you're going to meet with the Darth Vader on this path if you don't change your course. And... Uh, and sadly, my father's response was something in the realm of, can we get a cheeseburger? Yeah. Absolutely gutted me. Um, and so at that point, uh, you know, my time, I'd been out of work for almost two weeks, and it was really time for me to get back home. My brother had essentially flown in from his home in Maryland to somewhat take over and get them in the transition from the hospital into a rehab facility, which then would lead them into a new assisted care facility. Essentially, they never went home. Legitimately, they left their home one day to go see a doctor, and they never set foot in their house again. And by they, you're talking about your mom as well. Yeah, she was, she was right there by my father's side. Um, serving as his memory, as he not only is uh, with diabetes and cardiac heart failure, but also uh, he's living with Alzheimer's, which it's a tremendously uh, unsettling combination of, of diseases. Right. Um, but I traveled from the hospital back here to Colorado and went straight to the initiation in the mountains of Colorado where you and I met. And so I went from a place of being a rock for my family and, and practicing the elements of being grounded through ridiculously hard and emotional things 
to being asked to soften and to open and to be present and uh holy shit man i melted yeah i remember walking in late to uh, the welcome circle and i i tucked myself in as the last person in the group and i i don't know what had happened before i had arrived but i do know that i said hi i'm ryan <laughs> and just the emotions came and in in one realm that was just so hard to just crumble like that and in another realm it was just the permission and the medicine that the room needed right and that men don't allow themselves to do yeah right so to to kind of come back to your question of where i am today is you know we're two years from my father uh coming out of the hospital and the truth is is he's within his last breaths of the final final breath of his life right there's no knowing of when that'll come um you know but we did we did put him or introduce hospice into his care um about seven weeks ago and so he's he's being treated with as much love and kindness and, and comfort care as possible and uh you know he is He's truly clawing at the last, the last breaths of life, unrelenting in his regret and longing for more. Um, I shared that with a friend just the other day, and uh, you know it, it brings me kind of back to the the question we had just talked about. But when you don't deal with things, they will be waiting for you. And so as I as I as I stepped into uh, learning to become literate in grief and grieving uh, to be a shepherd for my mom and my dad in their in their death and their dying process i've noticed how much my father is uh, walking in a real dark shadowed place almost shadowy woods haunted woods uh, old memories of un unhealed unfaced uh, traumas from childhood and and throughout his life and and so it's become wildly apparent to me that when we don't face these uh, cruxes in our life when we don't face these moments of inflection that they do get tucked away uh, in a rock pile that will be waiting for us at the end of our life yeah and uh, yeah and and you know, how for the listeners, right? So anybody who may be dealing with this themselves personally or in the future dealing with this, how are you coping with this, right? So as you mm -hmm. stated earlier, like a gut punch when your dad chooses to stay on the same path that is clearly metabolically and health dysfunctional. I mean, being in my physician's hat, that's a massive struggle for me. I remember with my own father, about a decade and a half before he passed away, I had been similarly trying to change the course of his trajectory by discussing diet and all these things to the point that he almost, God rest his soul, almost made it sort of a game to listen to me talk about, even though he knew he was never going to do anything. And then, you know, I, I remember a decade later stopping just said, I'm done with this. It's annoying me. And I was getting emotional about it. And I just stopped asking him. And he, he said to me, why aren't you asking me about my health? And I said, because it doesn't matter. You're not going to do anything anyway. He goes, well, I care that you care. And it was sort of this, almost to what you're saying in a completely 180 degree different context where those things that get tucked away, come back later. This is almost like the emotional child in him coming out that he wanted me to continue to care even though it was a complete dysfunctional response to it. So mm. I know that when that was all happening, I wasn't dealing with it in an emotional way so much as I was dealing with it in a cognitive frustrated way, which is sort of where I live in the, in the head space. You're a lot farther on this journey than I am and was when my father passed away. So how are you now so for those listeners who actually might be doing this, what are you doing to keep yourself grounded in this struggle? Because it's a struggle. Hmm. Yeah, 
you know, I don't know if there's a keeping of anything. Yeah. You know, this, I think it's important to, to mention that this is a process. Yeah. Um, there's no, there, there's no getting there. There's no arriving to any other place, but this moment. Mm-hmm. And not to be metaphysical about it, because it, it really, it's not, it doesn't need to be that ethereal, but um, there, there, it's just, it's so much ebbs and flows. There's so much flux. And, you know, with, with the changing of emotions, whether it be celebrating and honoring all of the beautiful things he's brought into my life or grieving the things that never could be or that I didn't receive, uh allowance is one of the words that comes up in this moment just allowing for um all of those emotions um presence being present with those emotions um and be curious like what what else is there you know what 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 other emotion needs to be heard what does that emotion need from me you know, going into this process, I didn't, I didn't know much about grief or how important it was to tend to our grief. And, and my partner had had lost her her mother uh, when she was in high school, and uh, recently she set on a path of of learning to help others tend to their grief, and so that's brought the the awareness of the crucial relationship and the, the becoming literate in grief and grieving uh, to my, my forefront. Um, and so as, as I got to this place of, holy shit, this is, this is happening and I have no idea what to do. Um, I think what really came up is, is if, if your instinct is to do this on your own, where else could you go? What would be another option? And the other option would be you would ask for help. If the first instinct is to numb yourself, you know, the curiosity says, well, what would what would it look like if I stayed in connection with my feelings? And so at each at each fork in the road of 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 going with the the, the conventional or the civilized response of numbing or or detaching or disconnecting or or going on the on the solo uh, journey the the lone wolf uh, I've done my best to to take the other road um, so so really it was just an element of knowing that I couldn't do this alone um, to ask for a lot of help and if I was to ask for help what would the most skilled person in this do who would they ask help of and so i i sought uh to bring in a team of people you know not like from like this logistical standpoint but from a very energetic and spiritual standpoint and say okay you know i went to my partner and i said who who taught you about grief and she said you know these people at remembering earth and i said great you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna call them in as grief tenders, and I reached out to Michael Gay, you know, my therapist, and one of the people that really serves as an elder in in our men's group. And I said, "Who else do you know who can handle grief and grieving?" And he offered up, you know, uh, someone in his life, Shabon, uh, also known as the Grief Pilgrim on Instagram, and I pulled her in. So I have two two grief tenders that are. They're serving as counsel for me, and I've got a friend that studied uh, end-of-life doula work, and so she's also there for me. And you know, I've got uh, three or four men that are very close, if not closer now than ever, um, that I talk to about uh, this this journey. And and then I've also got my therapist and my partner. And. You know, I think this all started with a question of, of one of those men said, hey, like, what can I do to support you? And I said, I'm not certain, but what I'm not seeking is privacy. What I'm not seeking is space. Uh, if there's something that you have witnessed someone else 
do or experience in their process of loss or death and dying or grief and grieving, would you share it with me? If there's something that you witness somebody else regret not having done, would you share that with me? Or, or, or if this hits even closer to home where you have that experience, would you share that with me? And when I need to be witnessed, would you be there to hold that for me? Because at the end of the day, grief, grief is something that truly needs to be witnessed. You know, it's not something that is done alone. Um, and it's not something that ever reaches a moment of completion. In fact, you know, one of the biggest learnings that I've had in this is that, that you don't grieve somebody and then move on. That grieving is, is actually the building of, the establishing of uh, a new relationship with. And so this grief that I'm sitting with of, of the things that my father didn't or wasn't able to give to me, uh, or the things that he wasn't able to experience in his life, or the things that I won't be able to experience because my father's now where he is, or the things I won't get to experience because he won't be with us in the future. Um, those aren't things that you just bring closure to per se, but that you that you give love to and build a new relationship with and sit with and talk with and and revisit when they need to have your attention. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, I mean, let me pause you there for a second. because There's so much to chew on there. In medicine, we call what you did loading the boat. When you have a difficult case, when you have a difficult experience, you bring in the people that have the expertise to figure out the story. And I call so we we load the boat when we have something tricky. And to your point, you had forks in the road. And on those forks in the road, you chose paths that were distinct and different in order to find a new way of dealing with something that was so difficult. And I think that's a really important piece too, because when you choose a novel path in an experience that you've never done before, historically, then that's very unsettling. And so then to load the boat while you're choosing that path, you give yourself structure and function in order to have if needed, guidance, but even more so to your second statement, witness. Somebody to witness you going through it. Therefore, when you do stumble, which we all do, there's somebody there to hold your hand and potentially pick you up, but even better to help you lift yourself back up to the place of solvency so that therefore you're continuing on the journey of healing. And to your other point, you know, I, again, so amazing how naive I find myself with these situations, like especially around my own father's death, that I truly thought the grief process would be relatively straightforward again because of the 86 years of wonderful life. He's a great man. I enjoyed every moment. And it was the exact opposite. And I want to echo that reality that I have not stopped grieving and have no plans to stop grieving, especially moments that are just random and unexpected and just sitting like, for example, I find my father in church and I go to church on Sundays or at random times. And he comes in, which is not what I expected, but he sort of comes to me through a window pane mm. and I feel his presence through this one window pane. And it's quite eerie at times that that's a repeated pattern. And so that, experience you're speaking to and again you're still in the throes of it i think is so emblematic of how men who don't know what to do have an have an actual roadmap that you're laying out mm. and i didn't have a roadmap right i i think i muddled through this by hook or by crook and i would have much rather to some extent have had a little bit of a roadmap so for those listening if you are on this journey, you know, what Ryan is stating is, I think, clearly is so emblematic of a better way to deal with grief. Choose the fork in the road that makes you curious and questioning. I think that is massive. 
loading the boat to me is massive. Asking for witness, I think, is massive because men are lone wolfers. We're internalizers. We're swallowers of, of pain. And none of those serve us. They all come out sideways, as you and I know very well. Yeah, man, freaking awesome. Continue on where you're going. I, I just had to pause and re-encapsulate that because it's just so powerful. Yeah, I don't know that there's much more that needs to be said uh, other than that. But um, potentially there's two other pieces here. And one is, you know, you mentioned like, how am I coping? And yeah. I, I think that's not the word for it because um, coping would be a, a, a dealing with or a, a, I have something and I need to be elsewhere then. Okay. And I feel like the, the true medicine here for me as a son, uh, as a man, um, and truly as a partner for my, my, uh, my girlfriend, is to be present with it. Yeah. Uh, not, not to cope with it, but to, to be with it. Um, and so maybe the question is, how am I being with it? Or, or what am I, what ways am I, uh, staying present with it, uh, you know, and uh, I think the, the words that I said before were allowance and presence. I think grace is very much relevant. I think, um, you know, it's a messy process, you know, there's, yeah, this call could have been um, and may still become very emotional. And other times it, it can be spoken about very, uh, very matter of factly. Right. You know, uh, on this call, I'm sitting in front of a, an altar that I hold currently for my father. You know, it's pictures of his grandparents. And it's an old baseball mitt that I gave him from the 1950s. And uh, it's his pocket knife and uh, a, a bellow for building fires, blowing, blowing wind into fires that he made in high school. Um, some candlesticks for my parents' marriage over 53 years ago. Um, just so many elements uh, that honor different parts of his journey. And, uh, you know, it's those type of things that I believe are, are important to do. You know, one of the things I heard you say is we're looking for a new way. And, and I think that is the right word in context of how we do it in society. But the truth is, is we're actually looking to get back to the old way. Yeah. You know, and, and this isn't a learning, but this is a remembering. Our ancestors, they, they wept, they grieved. You know, there's belief that to get to the other side of life, you must travel on a river of tears. And, and so the way that we process in modern day is supposed to be clean. <clears throat> it's supposed to be without uh, disruption. But the truth is, is, is it needs to flow. It needs to expand that these ancestors, these elders that are becoming ancestors and the ancestors before them need to bear witness to the honor and reverence that we have for their life and their love, for their medicine and for the sacred wounds we've received from them. You know, these pains that we carry as wounds, they're truly sacred. They've informed us, they've allowed us to protect ourselves to this point, and from those places we heal and we whole and we go forward and help others. And so, you know, it's, it's not a new way that we're seeking. It's truly going back to old, old ways and finding, finding that we actually have that in, inside of ourselves. You know, the, the society that we walk in is is only three or 400 years old. That's strange to the human body. And so a lot of the work that, that this type of grief asks for is to go into nature, to go into the wild, to go into the places that the human body lived for 
thousands and thousands of years before we civilized ourselves. Yeah. And to go back and ask what that grief needs, allow the other than human elements, the trees and the rocks and the rivers and the creepy crawlies and the high flyers to witness us. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's profound. I think, again, I tend to bring context to it from how I see medicine and your point's well taken. We're looking for a new way, but it really isn't a new way. Even in medicine now, everything's coming back to what did we do a hundred years ago in the great context of healing metabolism, healing health. It's not the next drug. It's actually going back to eating healthy. It's actually going back to looking at the horizon. You know, Huberman talking about vision. It's actually going back to exercising appropriate. It's actually going back to all the things you're speaking to. So yeah, I feel that entirely. And I think that's so true that the new way truly is going back in time to the old way, but resynthesizing it within the framework of each one of us as an individual, but also as a collective between the collective humans and also the collection of us on earth, earthing everything else. Yeah. I know one of the things I thought was pretty profound and very alien to me, actually, after the first retreat was doing that walkabout mm-hmm. in nature and asking for, you know, something to come to you of a thought, a feeling, a so- and, and you know, that's just something I, you know, never really did. And I thought that was super profound for me to see a potential different way of re-engaging with the world, right? And I think to your mm-hmm. point, in grief, that's critical. Yeah. Wow. So what about ceremony? I know ceremony is big um, in most religions of the world and most significant organizations of the world. Ceremony is a massive part of unity and communion. I know for you, ceremony is a big deal. Like how are you utilizing ceremony in your grief or, or in your work, in your life in general? That's a that's a really good question. You know, one of the the so last summer I, I sat in Spirit Quest. I went on a twelve day Spirit Quest, which is essentially four days within community in preparation uh, in a death lodge, seeking uh, to understand and to identify and to to build relationship with what needs to die in you in order to be able to truly live. And then four days sitting. Uh, with yourself in nature, with nothing more than a tarp and water, no food, nothing, no chores, nothing. And then coming back and and sharing your story and being witnessed and being mirrored back to. And uh, one of the one of the teachers that was offered to us in preparation and is also a guide to my guide was Maldoma Somme a Dagara elder um, from West Africa, from Burkina Faso. And, you know, his teachings on ceremony and more specifically on ritual are very powerful, is that ceremony is uh, something that's very re- reproducible. Um, it's predictable. It's, it's controllable. Potentially, it's, it's uh, rehearsed. And uh, ritual is something that really calls in uh, two places. Um, It's spontaneous, it requires trust, and it requires a relationship with spirit having a reaction to us and us having a reaction to our greater uh, relationship with spirit. And so though ceremony um, potentially leads to ritual, it's really more about ritual. It's more about those grief rituals than the grief ceremonies. And, and that's a really, uh, it's, a, it's a Pandora's box to open the conversation of ceremony versus ritual. But to answer your question, I'm going to change the word to ritual. And, you know, the rituals that I have are, are to sit with my altar. The rituals I have is to, when I, when I feel an emotion that feels uncomfortable, allow it to expand, um, allow it to take on texture, allow those emotions to take on color and, and sensation and textures and 
you know, to, to put on music and allow my body to move, to crumble, to, to, to expand, for sound to pour from my body, um, to share freely with others um, and allow, allow their emotions to be impacted. You know, ritual is, in some ways, is, is very foreign. Uh, it was foreign to me. And so a lot of it is learning and trusting that no matter what you do, it will be right. That there is no wrong way to ritual um, as long as you allow yourself to be present and to be, uh, for it to not be, uh, a set outcome for you yeah. to be influenced and to be influenced by the act of is truly what ritual speaks to for me. So when I sit with the altar and I ask my father, like, how are you? And I, I, I speak with him, you know, it's allowing those things to come back to me. It's allowing the, the joys of staring at the picture of him as an 11-year-old holding a bat over his shoulder from his baseball picture and to hear what mattered to that boy, to see the picture of my parents' wedding day and to, to feel the hope and to also feel the collapsing weight of the world on my father's chest as he wasn't able to achieve those things. When the, the wild in him went quiet and the corporate world took over and to allow those things to do something to me and to allow those things to have an expression from within me. And so for me, I think that's um, what ritual really represents on the rawest explanation. It's not an X that leads to why, um, but there are, there are prescriptions, you know, there are, you know, there are things that someone can suggest you do. For example, you can, and I do uh, go to a wild place and, and offer uh, a gratitude to that place, an offering of reciprocity. And then I, I you can pour uh, your grief your emotions into a, a vessel that holds water and allow that to come in song and dance and weeps and wails and words of explanation, longing, wishing, wanting. And when all, all of that is done, you can pour that now rich water into the soil and to go, to allow it to go be with the other than human landscape and then offer gratitude for that witnessing. You know, that, that ritual is something that anyone can do. Making an altar and sitting with an altar is something that anyone can do. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that, you know, for me, when I listen to you speak to these things, I think in the context of individuality, in context of communion, right? So each person's grief experience and their choices are their own. And I am fully in line with that. And then to your second point, there are things that everybody can do for those who are either stuck or unable to see their own path to start with something like an altar of meaningful objects, pictures, thoughts, writing, sayings, it doesn't matter to your point. I think it just is what it is for each person in the moment, in the present, to feel, to experience, to move through the emotions as they arise. And I think they're going to arise differently every day, right? And I know for me, as they've arisen over the past year and a couple of months after my dad's passing, they just come when you're not expecting it. And to be available for that time when it does rise or also to set dedicated time to do it all good and i think i love the statement that you're saying that there is no right or wrong answer 
there's no prescriptive perfection it is each person's individual way of dealing or way of moving right I, I i agree with you the coping is an old medical term that probably is time to be discharged from the lexicon and move to better word choices around what we're really asking of everybody and specifically asking of ourselves so i love that thought process yeah i mean semantics of ritual and ceremony yeah it'll be worth a conversation not today but uh mm -hmm. I, I I appreciate your the context of where you're going with this though because I think again for those listening, death is tough. Ooh. It's 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 hard. It's messy. It's it's really not clean. There's nothing clean about it. And again, I thought in such a naive way that my father's death would be clean. And it's anything but clean. And it's still unclean for me. It's still random. It's still all over the map, depending on the day. And that's okay. And it's coming for all of us. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, we could do a whole other podcast on that. Just the thought process that we're all heading down those roads. I think one of the things I did think about when my father passed was, hey, I'm next in the lineage of generations, right? So my father's generation's now leaving. That means my generation's next. And that's a really sobering thought. And what does that mean, right? So I think that's super fascinating. And beyond that, uh, how audacious of us to think that we get to come home from work tonight, that we will come home from work tonight, that, that that's guaranteed. Right. Yeah, to, and to take anything for granted in this world is such a shame. And I think I, I, at times, get incensed with social media and the media in general because it is pushing us towards this reality of we deserve X. And frankly, we deserve nothing we get what we get and we should be working towards the best versions of ourselves every day within the framework of what we get. So, yeah, I hear you on that one. I think that's, I think that's rock solid. Yeah. Well, I wanted to get to some other questions, but this is going to run longer than I wanted to, if we go down those roads. So I'm going to, I'm going to save those for another time for us. I think this was super powerful to reach the discussion point around what I really wanted folks to understand, which is the life according to grief and how we mm. can move through that, which happens to us. And I, I love the way you're approaching it and really wanted to share that with everybody. That was sort of the impetus for me to really push for this discussion because you are doing stuff again, that in hindsight, I wish I had, had opportunity to beforehand but it's okay i did it my own way and i'm still doing it my own way each day and i think that's great in and of itself but i love your work so moving forward a little bit ryan what's where are you at now with your work what are you doing what can how can people follow you get in connection with you yeah you know um by day i'm a transformational coach yeah um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a massive student. Um, as you, as you sense from this call, you know, really in the process of healing and holding of myself, but through that have learned how much that my journey can also help others. And so the best way to get in touch with me is, uh, through LinkedIn, you know, Ryan Conklin, um, transformational coach, they struggle with finding that they're more than open to reaching out to you. I'm, I'm all, I am also available on Instagram as Conklin Chronicles, you know, and, and so by day it's transform transformational coach, uh, an endless student. Um, I'm in just in the process of, of really, really delving into how all of what I'm experiencing is something that is so crucial to helping uh, 
in people getting in touch with and past some of the things that they feel like are their crutches. So when someone comes to me and, and asks like, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to quit drinking or I'm looking to end my self-sabotaging behaviors. Like we can talk about those logistical pieces, but deep down there's a lot bigger energetics and, and grief and our relationship with those things have so much relationship there. And so, um, you know, to, to your point of, of your noticing, I wish I had had a chance to do this uh, when he was alive. You know, that, that emotion is real. And because grief will be unfinished, you still do have a chance uh, to do those things. You know, and, and so, for example, one of the things that I did that I had the opportunity to do was write my father a letter and uh, to honor him for the things that that I received from him, all of the gifts and teachings, and to honor the sacred wounds that I received from him, to tell him to notice the places that he wasn't, excuse me, that he wasn't able to show up for me, and to assure him that I would be fine, that he had prepared me to deliver a tremendous amount of gratitude and reverence and so those are things that still can be done. Those letters that were left unwritten can still be written. Those letters that were left unread can still be read. Because he can hear you and you know in your heart that those spoken into the world are heard by his spirit, are witnessed by his spirit. And that love and honor and reverence, asking for forgiveness and offering of forgiveness those can be felt and those have real lasting impact. And so anything left undone uh, truly must be seen as a choice that can be chosen differently in every moment moving forward. Man, that's you know, beautiful. That's obvious, obviously an invitation to you, but it's an invitation to everyone that's listening. You know, any regrets that someone may have, share those with somebody, write them. If, if, if there was something that you needed to say, take it to the land and speak it out loud. Let those emotions pour from you. Ask somebody who's safe to hold you and witness you. Ask for help. Ask for somebody to guide you. There are few people that are at the highest level that do anything on their own. I, I, it, I, I compel everyone to simply reach out, whether it be to me or someone else that might be able to guide them and say, this is what I'm seeking. How do I get there? What path do you see? Man, that's a really beautiful way of looking at this whole situation of grief. I think that is a, it's a mic drop moment. It's really awesome, buddy. So I'd and, love to leave us with a poem that I stumbled on just for our call. Let's do it. Like the trees, you have been waiting for the body to say, this is not an emergency, you are safe. And when it finally does, in a whisper, you almost don't believe you can breathe full breath again, and then another, at last trusting the open arms of trees, even their menacing shadows at midnight. Now you know everything that grows must also feel pain, must fear and doubt until they sense a some quickening, like sap rising up in the trunk and spreading through each limb. You have lived as if underground, but now you are breaking open breaking free, breaking so vast and green, you make a shady place for others to rest in. Mm. Yeah. Heavy but beautiful, the two words that come to mind. I'm thinking today's mm -hmm. Tuesday. Two-word Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, man. Heavy and beautiful.
Well, Ryan, man, uh, so appreciative of everything you're doing, your journey, yourself, the conversation we just had, the beautiful energy you just put out into the world around an amazingly difficult topic, and and just the the sense of witness that I'm having right now of you as you're going through your work and your journey. And I know I'm going to continue to witness you this whole time as you process the rest of this experience. And I'm going to continue to process mine. And, um, you know, I'll give you the final words. I appreciate everything you've done. Grateful for you and your time. And you got the final words. You know, just receiving your, your witness, man, big blessings. And, uh, it, it will remain unfinished and I'm grateful for that. You know, it, it will be something that I, that I carry lovingly, um, through my personal end of days. And, uh, the, I guess my final words would be an invitation to yourself. Um, one turned inward to myself and, and to all those that are listening is, is to reach out to, to seek the healing and holding of that which you hold regrets towards. You know, and if that's to me, then reach for me. And if that's for uh, your best friend or your partner, go to them and, and say those things that need to be said and open those conversations. Every small act matters. Much love. Spot on. Spot on. Spot on. Love you, man. Appreciate everything. Grief is one of those tricky things that most of us don't prepare for. Unfortunately, we get thrust upon a situation that leads to grief in a very rapid experience in most cases. And the knowledge of what to do with our grief, how to handle it, how to move through it, how to process it, how to be present with it, are knowledge points that we need. And we're not getting appropriately in society anymore as we're all living our day-to-day -day experience with dopamine hits, you know, reels and screens and videos and all kinds of things to take our attention away from what really matters. And that's being in present moment with ourselves, but also being in present moment with family as we all process whatever happens related to, in my case, the loss of my father. And Ryan really am, you know, is emblematic of a modern version of how to deal with grief. And as he stated, it's not really technically modern. It's a very old way being brought back to life. And the old way is often a very good way. A lot of things in modern society are great. Cell phones are great. They allow us to do a lot of things technologically that we couldn't do. We are able to achieve more in a faster period of time with greater efficiency and greater ability. But it also has negatives. It's taking, taking us away from being present moment, it's taking us away from being in touch with our feelings. It's doing a lot of things that are antithetical to a proper way to handle emotions. And that discussion point is important for everyone to understand. So you don't just take your pain and sadness related to grief and sublime it into work, sublime it into videos. You need to process, you need to deal. And to that point, putting people into your boat that help you deal is super important. And, you know, Ryan is one of those guys who can help. And there's many other folks out there as well. But I encourage you, if you're struggling in any way, shape or form, reach out to Ryan. You know, he can be found at 4ryanconklin at gmail.com for the number as, a, as actual the character number four. R-Y-A-N-C-O-N-K-L-I-N at gmail.com. He has LinkedIn at Ryan Conklin on the LinkedIn site. He's got an Instagram called Conklin Chronicles. You can also find him on the Man Uncivilized website, manuncivilized.com. 
And also some shout-outs to the folks that he uses. Sayo bin Ashgardze for Grief Pilgrim at griefpilgrim.com or rememberingearth.com for some grief support and education. And again, these are just the, the avenues that we're offering. There's many other avenues out there. You know, if you're a member of a religious community, there's often religious members, you know, priests and, and, and specialists in the religious realm who are very good at helping people manage through grief. You know, there's therapists who help you manage through grief. So wherever you find yourself on this continuum, or even if you are on the continuum, I highly encourage you to meet with and discuss what's happening in your life so you can process it appropriately and hold reverence and space for those that have left us and for those that are going to leave us. And frankly, for yourself, because you're eventually going to leave. All of those are super important. Ultimately, the end goal is that we all live the best life we can on this planet, no matter what comes at us. Very stoic philosophy way of seeing it. You know, you will eventually turn to dust. Amor fati. Love the fate that you're given. And my fate was to lose my father at 86. It was much longer than I expected, so in a lot of ways I was gifted. But didn't make it any easier. Miss him terribly every day. So for Dad, this is for you, this podcast. Ryan, appreciate you very much. And for all listening, so much love. Have a great day. Remember to hug those kids. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for educational informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or the healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This podcast does not constitute the development of a provider or patient relationship. Have a great day.